0: I'm going to be looking at James today and trying to make all of this real practical. And I'm just going to try to take six more minutes and respect your time. Let me do this. We're going to be, I'm going to read it real quick and then get to it. James says these words in James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like somebody looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. Who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unrestrained from the world. Let me make this really quick. You guys know James is the brother of our Lord. He was an early church leader. He wrote to 12 dispersed tribes. And if we look at ourselves in this postmodern world, we're dispersed too. It's a complicated situation to understand, and our lives are pretty complicated. He writes and it reads a lot like an old guy just talking. It's full of stories and proverbs, and it's facing difficulties. And today he's going to focus on just a couple So we're going to focus on this. And he starts by reminding us we are all family. He uses the illustration. Again, he says these words, brothers and sisters. And we recognize this, that we're all family, and when we have some disagreements, it gets messy, we get candid, and we have to be the first ones to love, and we have to forgive frequently. Now, he gives a model of how do we communicate in family, when life is messy, the first thing that we have to do is be willing to listen. We have to restrain our impulses to speak, and I, I imagine almost all of us are like that. If we're having a family conversation and the conversation's getting difficult, sometimes instead of listening well to somebody else and asking a question, trying to make sure we understand, we start to, in our own mind, formulate our response and our first thing instead should be listening. When things get a little bit tense, sometimes there's this impulse to become angry and we need to restrain our impulse to be, become angry because human anger will not accomplish God's righteousness. And let me give you a quick checklist that I use. If I am feeling my emotions are rising up, I ask the question, am I getting angry because something's been taken away from me? Is it something I'm having to give up with my rights, my time, my energy? Because when that happens, what I'm really feeling is my own self-centered anger. I'm not feeling God's judgment. I'm not feeling his justice. I'm not feeling even the wrath that he might be pouring out. I'm more concerned about me. Following Jesus is fundamentally not about my self-fulfillment. It's about my self-sacrifice. He is the example that I follow, and he is the Son of God sacrificed his life. What should make us angry, though, is when I'm perceiving that someone else has had something taken away from them, whether it's their dignity or the justice that's merited or their rewards. And when I see that someone else is being mistreated, if I feel anger coming up in my heart, that is likely the anger of God. Therefore, in order to make sure I have the right emotions as I am dealing with family-like conflict, I have to get rid of all of the evil in our culture that has become seeped into my personal life, I have to stay humble and I have to let God's word flourish in my life's like a garden. Now, James talks about this, this difference between being a, just a hearer of God's word and being a doer of God's word. And we have this temptation to fall into that same temptation of thinking, well, I can just keep hearing. And it can be it for us in a, Christian circles, it can be, let me go to these conferences, let me go to churches, let me subscribe to podcasts, let me be in book clubs, let me have all these magazine descriptions. And basically, my Christianity just becomes listening and socializing, and the only thing that is measurable is knowledge. Well, it's not just about listening. And James uses the illustration that we need to be able to take a look at ourselves, and he uses the illustration of looking at ourselves like if how we were to look in a mirror. You know, if you go and look in a mirror, you can see what you look like, and you can't really go out and deny it. And we have this added advantage in the world that we live in with our technology of us constantly taking selfies and being able to say, look, this is what I look like. And there's some things that that teaches us. Yes, our kids are cute. Yes, we're getting older. Yes, we gain weight in the winter, and maybe we'll lose some of the summer. We can take a photo and see how we're changing but instead of not only staring into a selfie or staring into a mirror, we need to stare into the perfect law of freedom. And I think James is referring back here to this ideas that have been floating around in the early church of what do we do with our freedom in Christ? It's the same reasons that Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and he says we've got to persevere in that freedom. When we see that our slavery has been broken, We labor not because we're afraid, not because we think we're going to be whipped like a slave, but we labor, we're doers, because we're celebrating the richness of God's mercy and our place in the community. Doers remember. And let me kind of give you an illustration of how we master information. If there is something that you want to learn, Today, most of us would like to go to a seminar, and that's a good thing. We could go there, and we could take notes. We may want to see it, so we go to a YouTube channel, and we see something being done. We watch it being done. We listen. We read. We watch. But fundamentally, if we want to master a task, we have to go and do it. And there's something that happens as we start doing it where it becomes mastery. Yesterday... Um, Todd Nelson and I, my son Timothy, went fishing. Now, I think a lot of you know Timothy has a little bit of a disability. His right hand doesn't work very well. Previous years, Timothy would basically fish with a king pole. Yesterday, we learned how to fish with a rod and reel, but he had to do it with basically one hand with the other as a crook. And We had looked at some videos, we had played with ideas, But we, yesterday, had to go out on the river, Todd and I and Timothy, and learn, and it had to be a doing exercise. And in our faith, if we want to become a master of it, we have to be doers. We have to go move past just sitting in the seminar and doing it. Now, James gives us three practical illustrations of what this is like. The first one is controlling our tongue. He's going to kind of pull us back and talk about the thing he said to be... Quick to listen, slow to be angry, and slow to speak. We have to have this pattern of, of slowing things down. We have to read and listen well. We have to have many friends and advisors. We have to keep asking questions. And we communicate when we are convinced. We don't get flustered. And if we start to get flustered by something, we take a break. We might even social distance with a purpose. We turn off the social media. We go for on a fishing trip, we go on a long walk. We're quiet and let ourselves process. And if something is a really big issue, we wait I would call so you to wait at least three days before you address it. Control your tone. Then he discusses orphans and widows and says that pure and undefiled religion is this, to care after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being entangled in the world. Now, when we talk about orphans and widows, for those of us who live in Western nations and go to churches and stay involved in social media, probably the first things that come to mind are things that we've seen that have been fundraisers for different Christian ministries that are in what we might call the Global South or the Third World country, countries that do not have as much economic wealth. And we'll see things to raise money for orphanages or child sponsorship programs. We may even see adoption programs. But I want us to take a pretty hard look at what's going on in our own neighborhood, our own church, and our own extended family. In the United States, we have many children who do not have a dad and mom both at home. We have the stats say we've got a large number of children in single families, and the numbers have been decreasing over the last 10 years, but basically about one out of every four kids in our country is being raised in a home where there is only one parent. In a certain way, we would describe them as fathers. If you compare ourselves to other nations, while we're about 25% in the United States, 3% of the children in China, 4% of the children in Nigeria, 5% of the children in India live in a single-parent household, and in Canada, or neighbor to the north, it's only 15%. I think God would say, let me ponder those single kids, single-parent families and their children that are my neighbors, my family members, or somebody in my church. We've even got kids that are in great trauma. I looked this up in Adopt USA Kids. In the state of North Dakota, there are 1,560 children in foster care. Last I saw, 271 of those kids are waiting for adopted families. Practical, what does this look like? We have to notice the children that are in our neighborhoods, church, and extended family that don't have a complete set of parents and give them extra care. Keep your eyes out for them and help them out. We need to consider fostering and adopting children. And this is something that is a lot of wrestling, and I'm preaching hopefully a short sermon. But think through that one and wrestle with that. If you are sitting here and you're at home and you're dad and mom, and you're wondering, what do I do? Some of us, the Spirit is going to be moving and consider fostering and adopting. Another thing I want all of us to be doing is when we have those families that make that choice, we will give them extra measures of support to those families. Related to widows, now it simply generally means the simplest term is a woman who was married who's lost her husband. And in the ancient world, when a woman lost her husband and she did not have adult sons, she was extremely vulnerable. We probably don't have that level of vulnerability in the United States today, but we do have a lot of individuals who are deeply wounded by their relationships. The stats that I went looking for have a little bit of variation, so I'm just going to speak in the broad spectrum. The divorce rates are declining in the United States, but also our marriage rates are. We have less people getting married, more people who are cohabitating. We are having less divorce, but it's still significantly high. And we have many adults living in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our extended families that are deeply wounded. Not only that, we have many older adults who are living alone. In the United States, 27% of those who are over the age of 60 are living alone, when the global average is 16%. And generally, a pattern that we see is that we are disconnected from one another, and we have people who are relationshipally broken living alone. Thus, this is what I would ask for you to do today seek out the lonely, stay in touch, and when you know people who are lonely, do something fun with them. Don't do it just as a project. Do it because you enjoy their company and need their counsel. Today is Mother's Day. Let me conclude. Well done, moms. Thank you for all you give to so many of us. I've got good memories of my mom. I'm in the shirt she gave me, and I'm joking with my siblings. See, the shirt says I'm her favorite. If your mom's still living today, give her a call. If you're a little kid, give her a hug. If you've got the ability, go buy her a card, get her some flowers, buy her lunch, and let her know she's appreciated. Maybe do some housework for her. Next week, we're going to try to do something for our moms at Revive. But I want to also encourage those of you that are watching out there to think about the, the Mother's Day. It's largely a holiday created by the card industry. It is not something that's in our church liturgy, it's something we've adopted in but what is clear, and I want to say clearly from the book of James is that those of us that are people of faith, our eyes need to be on our community and we need to be looking for those that are hurting and bringing them encouragement. There are a lot of women on today that are going to be more discouraged and the church itself will be a greater source of discouragement They may be facing things like infertility, single parenting, or the reminders of a divorce. And this is the season for us to bring extra care. Let me close by reading from the Book of Common Prayer. And I'll be reading their closing prayer. O Almighty God, whom truly to know is everlasting life. Grant us so perfectly to know thy Son Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leadeth to eternal life, through the same thy Son Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Go with